Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. So, uh, you know, a real thing that's happening right now in the Middle East, uh, I just got a newsletter from Far Reaching Ministries. Maybe some of you have gotten received that letter as well. Um, if you're at all involved with that ministry or you know about them or you're on their mailing list. Um, but there are believers in Iraq and Syria who uh, they are being challenged. That You know, ISIS, the, the, that Muslim radical army basically is what they are. They're trying to create a, a Muslim caliphate or, a, a, you know, they're eventually wanting to have worldwide rule. Muslim rule um, throughout global, you know, even the United States. But they're trying to establish their own country, basically. They're using land in Iraq and Syria and, I don't know, probably some other places as well. And one of the things that they're doing is they're coming up to believers and uh, they're basically challenging them and and telling them, uh, you know, either convert to Islam or you pay a tax or die. And uh, I don't even know if that tax thing is working out because what Far Reaching Ministries is, was sending a letter about is that they are uh, crucifying Christians, literally. They are decapitating, they're beheading Christians, and uh, I mean, even children. So it, it's just amazing what's going on uh, worldwide. And so this morning, as we take a look at this chapter in Daniel chapter 3, that's where we're at this morning, I have to ask you this question. What if you were a believer growing up in a land like Iraq or Syria or something like that, and uh, all of a sudden this foreign army, you know, invades your land? You know, like take for example Iraq. Uh, they, you know, they had that brutal dictator Saddam Hussein, and he pretty much ruled Iraq with his iron fist. But from what I understand, he kind of left the Christians alone, basically. And so, you know, but whatever the case, maybe he did or he didn't, I don't really know. But, you know, there is the, the, this, this whole, you know, independence when his regime was toppled by the American forces. And then it looked like there was going to be democracy in Iraq. And can you imagine, put yourself as a believer in that place, just praying and hoping that now finally you could practice your, your faith openly and that, you know, you could evangelize your neighbors, you could talk about your faith, whatever. And, and, and then to have this happen where these armies are coming through these, these Islamists and, and they're basically not letting you just be by yourself. They're not even letting you be, you know, practice your faith as Christians. And what if they came up to you and said, either convert to Islam or die? What would you do? How would you respond to that? Well, the same thing happened here in Daniel chapter 3, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. So in Daniel chapter 3, in verse 1, and you know, it's interesting, we're talking about Nebuchadnezzar, and we're talking about the land of Babylon. That is the land of Iraq. Iraq, Babylon, the ancient Babylon, is in the nation of Iraq. So, I mean, this is really, you know, you, could, you can put yourself in that situation and, and, and see the similarity. So Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold, whose height was 60 cubits, and its width 6 cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura, in the province of Babylon. 
And King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to gather together the satraps, the administrators, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Well, you've got to ask this question. What happened between chapter 2 and chapter 3? If you were here last Sunday, we talked about chapter 2. I'm going to back up just a little bit and tell you about chapter 2, just to remind you. In chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has this terrifying dream of this tall statue. And it's an image of a man, and it's, its head is of gold, and it's, 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 uh, you know, its chest and its arms of, of another metal, and, and its waist is of another metal, and its legs are of steel and, uh, or iron and clay, and it, it you know, went into a whole lot of stuff. And Daniel, none of the people could tell the, the king the dream. You know, he says, tell me the dream, and then tell me the, admin, the interpretation. And they're like, well, tell us a dream, we'll tell you the interpretation. He's like, uh-uh, uh-uh. No, you, if you really know the interpretation, you should be able to tell me the dream too. And of course, none of the magicians, none of the Chaldeans could do it, but Daniel did. God gave Daniel the, the interpret, gave not only Daniel what the dream was, but also the interpretation. And so Daniel told this interpretation of this dream, and basically this, this image resembled all these empires that were going to reign, starting with Nebuchadnezzar himself and Babylon, the head of gold. And then going on after him, the Medes and the Persians, the Greeks under Alexander the Great, and then finally the Roman Empire. And then uh, this world-ruling empire that's going to exist in the, in the very last days. And so Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar the dream and its interpretation. And at the end of chapter 2, verse 46, here's the king's response. Then King, king Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, prostrate, I mean, that means he's bowing down, basically, uh, before Daniel and commanded that they should present an offering and incense to him. The king answered Daniel and said, Truly your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and a revealer of secrets, since you could reveal this secret. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. Also Daniel petitioned the king and set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. So, I mean, what a, what a wonderful ending to chapter 2. God answered the prayers of Daniel and his companions. God gave them the dream uh, and the interpretation. Daniel presents this to the king. The king responds very positively, right? And, and says, man, your God is the God of gods, the revealer of secrets. And Daniel and his friends are promoted. But now we get to chapter 3, and King Nebuchadnezzar is setting up this large golden image and dedicating it, as we'll see in a couple more verses, everyone's going to require to bow down and worship to this image. What happened between chapter 2 and chapter 3? You know, the thing is, we don't know how much time elapsed between chapters 2 and chapter 3. The Septuagint and the Arabic Bibles, the versions of the Bible, place the events of chapter 3 in the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. And chapter 2 event, you know, was just a couple years into King Nebuchadnezzar's reign. So it's possible that maybe 16 years elapsed, elapsed possibly. 
We don't know this from the Bible, but we do know this from the history books, that militarily, after Nebuchadnezzar became king, he went to start fighting battles, basically, to establish a worldwide rule, and there is no record of him ever losing a battle. He was always successful in his military campaigns. Not only that, but the Babylonians was a very wealthy empire. Uh, The Hanging Gardens of Babylon, that was one of the uh, seven ancient wonders of the world, of the ancient world at that time. And then not only that, but looks at this image. Now, I don't know if it was solid gold or not, but an image 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. That's the cubits. You convert it into cubits. A cubit is about 18 inches. So 90 feet high, 9 feet wide of gold. How much money would that be worth in today's value? You know, you know ounces of gold. I don't know, I even know how much an ounce of gold is right now. There's a lot of wealth there. There's a lot of money. And so if you combine that, you, you say, well, he was militarily successful for very many years, very wealthy. I think what it boiled down to was pride in, in Nebuchadnezzar's heart. Now, there's a proverb, by, and it's not written by Solomon, but it was written by Agur, the son of Jacob, Proverbs 30, verse 8, and it says, Remove falsehood and lies from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Agur was a wise man, and he said, Lord, you know, don't, make, don't allow me to become so wealthy, so successful, that I forget you. But on the other hand, also, don't let me be so poor that I'm forced to steal for my, for, for, you know, my food and everything. Uh, that's very wise, because that typically is what happens to people when they are successful, when, they are, when everything's going right in their life. And you can bear witness probably in your own life, Right. You know, you're believers, you love the Lord Jesus, you come to church, you pray and stuff. But, you know, when things are going well, you know, does your devotional life tend to kind of like, uh, you know, kind of wane a little bit? I know mine does. It's only when there's a crisis in my life, when I'm you know, like, Lord, I'm, I need you. You know, then my prayer life is wonderful. You know, then I'm on my knees praying all the time and I'm, you know, quoting scripture to everybody and stuff and, you know, focusing on the Lord. But when things are going well, well, not quite as much. Not that it should be, you know, it should be the same all the way. But anyways, Nebuchadnezzar had become successful and he became prideful. Now what's interesting about this image is why the gold image of a man? And remember the dream that he had, that great terrifying image in chapter 2, the head was of gold and Daniel says, Nebuchadnezzar, that head of gold is you. You're the head of gold. And uh, but there would be four kingdoms that would come after you, and so all I could think, the scriptures again doesn't tell us, but if you know human, you know uh, the human condition and the way people think, I think Nebuchadnezzar, in his pride and in his successes for so many years, said, you know what, my kingdom is going to reign forever, and I'm going to make it reign forever, and so this whole image is going to be all gold. Forget about those other kingdoms. I'm going to change destiny. And I think that's what he did in his pride. Now, it's interesting, a 90-foot tall and 9-foot wide image of a man, that's a pretty skinny man, (laughs) you know, if you put it in proportion. That would probably more resemble an obelisk than an actual man, you know, an obelisk of those tall statues, you see. This thing probably had a base also. 
And it's interesting, um, in Halley's handbook, in 18, it says this, in 1854, that there was this French scholar by the name of Julius Oppert, and he found a pedestal, a very, very large pedestal of a colossal statue in the ruins of ancient Babylon. So it's possible he could have found the base of this, this thing. Interesting. It's, that's free. I don't charge for that, but... Well, Daniel 3, verse 4, it says, Then a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery in symphony, with all kinds of music, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of of a burning, fiery furnace. Well, you can imagine what everybody did, right? They probably all bowed down when they heard the music. Verse 7, So at that time, when all of the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and symphony with all kinds of music, all the people, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, in the Babylonian uh, culture, in the Babylonian Empire, they worship Babylonian gods. When Daniel and his friends were brought, you know, captives, they were renamed, and their names were tributes to the gods of the Babylonians. Belshazzar. Well, Bel is the name, or Belteshazzar, I should say, was Daniel's name. That's Bel is the name of one of their deities. But they also worshipped the emperors, the kings in that time. They kind of raised them up into a status of of uh, of deity is so that was kind of intertwined in ancient Babylon. Verse eight. Therefore at that time certain Chaldeans came forward and accused the Jews. They spoke and said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, and symphony with all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the gold image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. You know, I, I just have this picture in this mind of my mind that these Chaldeans were jealous and envious of the position that Nebuchadnezzar had placed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember, they had been elevated to ruling over provinces in Babylon, like governors or whatever. And so I imagine there was some jealousy and certainly there was some anti-Semitism. And those, there's these people, the Jews. And, you know, that's happened throughout history, right? The Jews, they've always kind of stood out from other cultures because they've, they've, they've maintained their culture. They've maintained their, their religion and Judaism. And they've stood out in cultures and, and they've been hated all down through the centuries. This is a perfect example of it. Verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? 
Now if you are ready, at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery, in symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made good. But if you do not worship, you should be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? You kind of sense a little bit of pride there, right? Who's the God who can deliver you from me? Now, Nebuchadnezzar was not telling Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to abandon their belief in God. He wasn't saying that. You don't read that in the scriptures. But basically what he's saying is, okay, you, you, you know, maybe you worship those gods or the God of Israel, but you should also worship me and you should worship my gods. So he was basically wanting them to add to their worship of God the worship of him and the Babylonian deities. And it's interesting that you can still sense, I think, he still had some regard for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Because rather receiving that report and throwing them into the fiery furnace, he gives them another opportunity. Hey, you know, like maybe maybe I heard it wrong. Maybe they're, maybe they're mistaken or whatever. Maybe you didn't understand the command. I'll give you an opportunity to do it. So I think he had some regard for them. Uh, and he gave them another opportunity to, to, to comply with the, his decree, basically. But these guys, man, they didn't need another opportunity. Their minds were already made up. Look at verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, Let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. What a tremendous testimony of these guys. They had already determined, we're not going to worship the gods of the Babylonians. We're going to worship the one true God, Jehovah, the God of Israel, the God of Jacob, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And they said basically to the king, hey, king, you don't even need to give us an opportunity. We're not going to do it. We're not going to fall down to these gods. Our God's able to deliver us from the fiery furnace. But even if he doesn't, we're still not going to worship your gods. What a a stand those guys made. You know, in Job chapter 13, verse 15, we actually, for a while there, we were singing this worship song. It's based on that verse there. And Job, in his passage of Scripture, and if you know Job, Job lost just about everything. He lost his children. It sounds like from Scriptures his wife left him. He ended up with diseases. He lost all his wealth. He was reduced to basically himself. And he was in a miserable physical body at that time with all the, the ailments and the things that he had. And in verse 13 of chapter, excuse me, verse 15 of chapter 13, he says, Though he slay me, he's talking about God, though he slay me, Yet I will trust him. You know, I think that kind of flies in the face of the, uh, the uh, you know, the, the name it and claim it people, the, the faith healing ministries where, you know, God wants you to be healthy and wealthy and, you know, all that stuff. Here Job's saying, hey, even if God slays me, I'm still going to trust him. Jesus said in Matthew ten twenty eight, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. And I wonder, you know, those believers in Iraq and those believers in Syria and other countries, I wonder, you know, maybe some of them, you know, maybe they had 
you know, uh, kind of a nominal faith in the Lord God. Maybe they weren't really into the Word of God or whatever, but I can imagine in the face of that persecution, they were probably digging into their Bibles, trying to get strength and trying to encourage each other with, with the words of the Lord. This probably is one of the verses that encouraged them. Verse 19, Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression on his face changed toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those uh, kill those men who stood, excuse me, who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. So just to make sure the reader doesn't think Daniel was exaggerating the facts about this furnace, he says, you know, the king told his men to heat up the furnace seven times hotter. And the guys that bound up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as they approached the flames and the heat, they were overcome and they actually died from the flames. Of the, that's how hot the fire was. And so these men were tossed into that fiery furnace. You know, I can imagine the governor or the, the king's got all these people around him and, uh, you know, nobody, nobody questions a king, Right? Nobody, nobody stands up to a king, and yet these three men said, I'd, we will rather worship God than worship you. And it doesn't matter what you do to us. We're going to worship God. We're not going to bow down to you. And I can imagine the king was probably very embarrassed and very, uh, you know, uh, probably angry more because of the fact that somebody actually challenged him, probably in the, in, in the presence of all these other people. That's never a good thing to stand up to someone like that who has power. and uh, But these men did that. And so the king, you know, maybe, maybe even just to set an example of this, of these men, threw them into the fire. And at that point, he's probably like, okay, I've saved face. I'm done with this. But you know what? When man closes a book, man, God's able to open up and write another chapter. And that's exactly what God did in this story as well. Verse 24, Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered and said, King, (laughs) true, O king. Look, he answered, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. So not only were the three not dead, They were no longer bound. They were actually walking around in the flames. And instead of three, he now sees four in the furnace. And he says the fourth has the form like the Son of God. Something was uniquely different about that fourth individual. And I believe that this is none other than a Christophany. What's a Christophany? It's a pre-incarnate 
appearance of Jesus Christ. In other words, before he was born in Bethlehem, and you know, this is a pre-appearance, uh, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ with them in the fiery furnace. Verse 26, Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire, and the satraps, administrators, governors, and the king's counselors gathered together, and they saw these men on whose body the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. Man, they didn't even smell like they'd been to a campfire. You know what's interesting about this? There's a lot of stuff interesting about this, but about a hundred years earlier, Isaiah the prophet prophesying the Babylonian captivity, prophesying all these things that would take place. In chapter 43, he says this in verse 1, But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One uh, of Israel, your Savior. You know, sometimes you read passages in the Bible and you go, well, that's kind of a figurative figure of speech and what a nice thought it is. But here, these men lived it literally. Hundred years later. Psalm thirty four verse seven says the angel of the Lord encamps around all those who fear him and delivers them. Do you fear the Lord this morning? You know that Jesus Christ is encamped around you. He's going to be with you no matter where you go. In fact, Jesus said that Lo I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And I think we're at the end of the age. And Jesus has promised to be with you and I throughout anything that we go through. Verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him, and they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which, which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made an ash heap, because there is no other God who can deliver like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. What a, what a fascinating story. What an amazing thing. What a challenge for you and I in our faith as believers. But there's a question that I have, and maybe you have too as we were reading this. Where was Daniel? You ever wonder? Where was Daniel? I mean, if everyone was required to bow down, did Daniel bow down? I don't believe he did. So where was he? Well, there's some different theories, and they're they're theories because Scriptures doesn't tell us. One of the theories was that Daniel was away on the king's business at that time. He was out doing projects for the king, and so he wasn't there. Could be. 
Another theory was that Daniel, you know, he was basically second to Nebuchadnezzar. And so he was so high and so honored and so revered by Nebuchadnezzar that the, the, the people that were accusing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they probably saw Daniel not bowing down, but they were afraid to say anything because, hey, he's, Dan, he's Nebuchadnezzar's right-hand man. And maybe they wanted to see how Daniel, or excuse me, how Nebuchadnezzar would react to the news about these guys. And then if, if you know, like, he threw them in the furnace, well, hey, there's another one too. That's a theory. We don't know. According to the narrative, though, there's no mention of Daniel. So we can assume, I think, that he wasn't present. Now, the reason why I say that, you might say, well, that's just interesting. Why wouldn't, the, why wouldn't Daniel have been mentioned in there? You know, nothing in Scripture is coincidental. There's nothing accidental in the Bible that you read. Why was Daniel not mentioned? And this is what I believe. I think Daniel is a type or a picture of the church in the last days who's going to be absent from the tribulation. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I think, are as a type or a picture of the nation of Israel, and they're going to be present in the fiery tribulation. But the church is going to be absent. You know, the tribulation is known as the time of Jacob's trouble. It's a time when God's going to deal with Israel as a nation. And I think that that is, I think this is a picture of that. Now, chapter 3 of Daniel uh, is not prophecy directly. This is a narrative, right? It's a historical event that we're reading. It's not a, thus says the Lord, this is what this is going to happen. But I think indirectly, in types and pictures throughout this chapter, it is prophetic. Verses 4 and 6, if you go back and take a look at that. Who is required to bow down? All people of every people group, because the Babylonian Empire was basically the world empire that, that time. All peoples of every nation and every language was required to fall down and worship the image. Do you know that that's what's going to happen in, during the tribulation? The Antichrist is going to demand the same thing of all people, of all nations, of all languages. Revelation 13, verse 15, it says, He was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. There's coming a time when the world is going to be required to bow down and worship this image, this beast. In Revelation 20, verse 4, John relates this. He says, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. There's these people that are going to be alive during the tribulation that are going to be, re- they're, the, you know, they're going to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, faced with that choice. Do you, do you take the mark of the beast? Do you fall down and you worship the Antichrist? Or do you only stand up and worship Jesus? You only worship God. And the punishment for disobeying is death. 
And isn't it fascinating that they lose their heads for their faith in Christ Jesus? You, you look at what's happening in, in, with the Islamists right now. What are they doing? They're beheading people. It's not, you know, it's, it's not like, wow, that's really a medieval thing. You know, it's prophetic what we're seeing happening. And notice in verse 15, Nebuchadnezzar says, Who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Again, that, that voice of pride. Later on, when we get to Daniel chapter 7, Daniel prophesies about the Antichrist. And in verse 25, he says, He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and half a time. There's going to be a time this, this, this Antichrist, is, he's, going to, he's going to make pompous boasts against God. And he's going to say, who can deliver from my hands? In Revelation 13, verse 3, it says, And I saw one of his heads uh, as if it had been mortally wounded, speaking of the Antichrist, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? This coming world ruler is going to have so much power, so much influence, that nobody's going to be able to stand up against him. They're going to say, well, what's the use? Who can stand against this person? In verse 17 and 18, uh, these... Yeah. yeah, verse 17 and 18... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were willing to die rather than worship false gods. And they did. They were thrown, well, they didn't die, but they were thrown into the fiery furnace. And many are going to lose their lives during the great tribulation. Those saints that we read about that overcame will reign with you and I, with Christ in the, in the millennial kingdom. There's going to be a lot of people that are going to stand up against the rule of the, of the Antichrist. And notice in verse 19 that the furnace was heated up seven times seven more times than usual. The Bible says that the tribulation is going to be worse than anything that the world has experienced till that time. Because some people say, you know, well, I think we're kind of living through the tribulation right now. No, uh uh-uh, that's not true. It's coming. Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 21, for then, he's speaking of the tribulation, that for then there will be great tribulation, such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor, no, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. God miraculously saved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And God will miraculously save the nation of Israel during the tribulation as well. In Revelation twelve thirteen, it says, Now when the dragon saw that the, he had been cast to the earth, He persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child, but the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for time and times and half a time for the presence of the serpent. You know, it's kind of, I'm kind of just kind of dipping into some of these scriptures in Revelation and, um, you know, Revelation and Daniel really go hand in hand if It helps to understand Daniel when you read Revelation. It helps to understand Revelation when you read Daniel. They really really, uh, complement each other. 
there's a time, uh, and people believe, and, and I believe personally too, that uh, during the tribulation that the Jews are going to flee from Jerusalem and they're going to go to Jordan, to the nation of Jordan, to the rock city of Petra. And uh, I, was, I was trying to find the scripture. There's a, there's a passage in the Old Testament. I know we talked about it. I think it's in Isaiah, but I couldn't find it last yesterday. Um, but it talks about it. There's a prophecy concerning um, Jordan and concerning Petra. Um, if I find it, I'll... because I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll probably be talking about it later on again as we go through the book of Daniel. But believe that God is going to save and spare miraculously the children of Israel during the millennium. So we look at Daniel chapter 3 and we see prophecy in pictures and in types. But not only that, we see a very real application. And, and you know, if you were living in Iraq, in Iraq today, it'd be a very real application Standing up for your faith. Are you willing to, to, to die for your faith in Jesus Christ? I hope that doesn't happen to us here, but it could come to this it could come down to that here, you know, in our in our land. It could come down to it where we'll be having to make a choice. Will you stand up and worship the Lord God? Or will you, you know, die for it? What do you do? I think you make a decision now. You know, I think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it wasn't like they had never contemplated that, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, wow, we have to decide. Are we going to worship? They had already made that decision that they were going to worship the God of Israel, no matter what. They showed that in chapter 2, when they, or actually in chapter 1, when they refused to eat the food that the king had set before them, and God honored that. Joshua twenty four fifteen. Joshua says this, And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. What a a testimony. We used to have that plaque above our door as you entered into our house. We still do, I guess. Okay, you know. But as for me, man, we're going to serve the Lord. This house, we're going to serve the Lord. That's a stand that you and I can make today. In fact, we need to make today. I like what it says in Psalm 57, verse 7, My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise. This morning, is your heart steadfast? This morning, have you determined, you know what, I'm not going to bow down to any other God. I'm going to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to live for Him today. And you know the thing with Nebuchadnezzar? He didn't say, okay, I don't want you to deny Jesus. I don't want you to deny God. But I also want you to worship these gods. And that's exactly what the world does to you and I today. It's fine if you have your Christian religion. But you know what? How about if you just serve these other things? And it's a real temptation for us in this day and this age. But let me ask you this. Are you ready to refuse to compromise even if it means punishment? even if it means death. You know, the thing that those guys said, hey, God's able to deliver us. And God is able to deliver. But even if he doesn't deliver, they said, man, we're going to worship. We're not going to bow down and serve your gods. You and I, we may indeed have to go through a fiery furnace 
We may indeed have to be, we may end up in a time like the, the people in Iraq. They're going through a fiery trial right now, the believers there. Their faith is being refined. I can guarantee there's no nominal Christians in Iraq right now. Uh, they're, they're just not churchgoers. I guarantee they're either standing firm for Jesus and for their faith in God, or they're, they're saying, yeah, okay, we'll, <laughs> we'll convert. We have the luxury today. We don't have the, you know, we don't have that facing us. But a time may come where we, you and I may have to do that. But the thing that's really cool about this, if you make a stand for the Lord and you're, and you're persecuted for it, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Jesus was with them in the fire. And he's promised to be with you as well through the fire.